and she'd give me a penny for every gray hair like I'd pull out of her head. And so I could make like a, I'd make like a dollar while I'm sitting there. And so just a lot of those little things where I was given opportunities to make my own money and I was also expected Welcome to the Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Fi Show. But before we get into today's episode, let me check in with my co-host Justin. What's going on, man? Hey, Cody. Well, this past weekend, you know, there's no big extravagant out-of-town trip to report on, sadly. But one thing that, you know, I think coronavirus has really gotten us to be better at it's kind of looking for those experiences in your backyard and so one thing i've always wanted to do was go check out a bunch of the different breweries and vineyards and distilleries that are down about 45 minutes south and they kind of loop out through the hill country in texas so it's actually these fairly rural spots but they've built a pretty good string of these like really cool vineyards distilleries breweries doing some uh, interesting stuff. And so Leslie's actually doing like a couple of dry months. So she was uh, gracious enough to be our DD and kind of drove us around. So we were all safe. We did a big kind of like hour and a half loop where we just stopped in a few different places, sampled some stuff and checked out the different properties. How about you, man? That sounds like my kind of party, Justin. I'm I'm a little jealous of that one. Uh, This past weekend, I went up to Sunday River, which I think I mentioned last week, but just been, like I said, trying to milk the last ski days out of the season in the Northeast anyway, because today it was like 50 something. It's going to be in the 60s this week, which obviously down in Austin, Texas, that's nothing to you, Justin, but it is awfully warm up here. A lot of the snow is melting. Um, But yeah, had an awesome two ski days on Saturday and Sunday, came back and, you know, back to the normal grind. But Justin, enough about us. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data. It crunches all your assets, all your liabilities and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans. These can be 401ks. These can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. So this week, we're kind of continuing with this theme that we've been doing with the show, if you've started to notice, where we do these kind of sets of episodes with three episodes, two with guests, one where me and Cody kind of wrap it up and to give a summary and I get to shine a little bit more light on how we've seen the topic in our own lives. So if you remember, we had uh, Dan and Jake on the last two episodes, both who are teachers, and they're really trying to get you know, the younger community into things like personal finance, not even necessarily the fire movement. I mean, although some definitely are, but that as well as just being armed with how to take care of their own personal finances, because 
I think most people would agree that's a topic that in our public schools, especially, you're just not seeing enough emphasis on. You know, I think we could all argue whether it's more important to dissect a hundred year old book or whether it's important to know like how to not get in overwhelming debt the second that you're able to when you go to college. Um, but I think this community, we know how important that is. And so that's what those two guys are doing. And so we're just going to kind of talk through some money lessons that we had growing up, maybe some ways that we uh, talk to people who are just getting into personal finance and just, uh, yeah, just kind of wrapping up how it is that that we got to know personal finance and maybe some tips for getting those in your life who aren't there yet up to speed. Awesome. I guess I'll uh, kick this thing off then, Justin, and we'll just kind of, you know, roll through the years. And like you said, we can ask each other questions. We can, you know, spruce in some tips or, you know, things we might have wished we'd known at that point. But going back to the very beginning, I guess I'll start with like pre-making money, Cody. <laughs> this is like me from age zero up till I, honestly, I think I got my first little side hustle, like 10 or 11. I was working at my uncle's disc golf shop. But during those years, during the early years with my parents, they would definitely instill the value of saving into me. And like we had just talked about with Dan and Jake, and you know, they are kind of talking about these five financial independence concepts. Um, I didn't get any of that stuff, but they would say like, hey, Cody, you should put your money in a bank. Or, you know, I'd get 20 bucks from grandma for in my birthday card. And they'd say, like, okay, you can spend this on whatever you want, or you can put it in the bank. And actually, my dad was, used to pump CDs a lot, the certificates of deposit. Be like, you know, you can put $50 in a CD and it will be, you know, $52 next year if you keep it in there long enough. Actually, I think rates were probably a little bit better when I was a kid. But pretty much the majority wasn't really any entrepreneurship stuff, which a lot of people know me for now. It was mostly just, you know, save as much money as you can, never spend more than you earn, which I guess isn't even a lesson you can teach at that age, but definitely building the foundation for that type of mindset for once I started to get real money. How about you, Justin? Yeah. I mean, for me, little things started uh, happening when I was really young that I can look back to as well. I mean, you know, we didn't really have a lot of money. And so that in and of itself is like a lesson where you learn to do with less. You learn to, we learn to kind of make it a game, like to have fun with it. Like I, as a very young age, just was kind of weird where I would get excited about like finding the best deal on like the cents per ounce. And this is back before, you know, now it's pretty easy. Like you go in there, most stores have like a little orange or yellow kind of thing next to the price and it breaks that down for you. And that hasn't always been there. And uh, so it was some little math lessons for me as a kid, but it also was like fun for me. I'm like, no, you know, the, this giant box, like they're trying to make you think that you're getting the bulk savings, but actually it's just a marketing ploy and the smaller box is cheaper or, or whatever it might be. And, you know, and my granddad also had a big part in it because he was a farmer. Most of his business was cash and stuff like that, but he kept like crazy books. He had these little tiny kind of legal notepads and he would, just keep up with everything, like how much stuff he sold, how much money he spent on seeds, you know, how long it took him to do a bush hogging job, which if you don't know what that is, a bush hog, it's kind of like saying a Kleenex, right? It's one of those brand name things. And so it's the brand name of the big mower that you would pull behind you behind a tractor. And so it's kind of like industrial size mowing your yard, but like a field. Didn't even think about it. That's not a common term until it came out of my mouth. But like he just kept these like really good books on everything. And I think that he saw in me that I had an interest in that really young. And so more than my other cousins, like he really pushed me to, to save and to think about it. And he'd be like, okay, like count up all your money, 
And okay, how much do you have? How much more would you need to go from, you know, say you got $27 to get to $50? Oh, well, I need 23. Okay. Well, like how many, you know, watermelons would we have to sell to get that? Okay. Well, you know, and like just kind of going down that path. Also had this, uh, had the CDs myself. And I will never forget that I had some CDs that earned 7%. And that's after they'd actually dropped some. <laughs> and I think now, like, imagine if I just had this tool where I go and park my money there. And it's not like the, where we say the stock market averages 8% and you can pretty much count on it. But like, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you got seven plus percent, like done. You know, I wouldn't even care about the rest of investing. I'd be like, give me that. I'm good. But yeah, then even little things like, uh, you know, I would just do anything. Like my my grandmother, this is kind of, I don't know, you could say it's gross, whatever, but we would take my cousin to summer school because he, you know, like he had some issues in school and had to go to summer school and we had to sit there and wait on him. And she'd give me a penny for every gray hair like I'd pull out of her head. And so I could make like, an, I'd make like a dollar while I'm sitting there. And so just a lot of those little things where I was given opportunities to make my own money. And I was also expected, you know, as much as reasonable to pay for my own stuff. Like if it was things you really didn't need, like a video game or Pokemon cards, like that was on me. And yes, you'd get Christmas and birthday money. But all those other things in between didn't really come, which, you know, I think it made birthdays and Christmas a lot more special. And it made me respect the dollar a lot more. Now that you're saying all this, I'm, I have so many different ideas and things that I definitely didn't mention. And I think you kind of had a mixture of kind of like I did. You had an uncle who was intentionally telling you this stuff, like for financial reasons. And then you kind of pick up other stuff along the way, just from people's actions, how, you know, how they perceive the world, whether they're, you know, saving every penny or fixing things instead of buying new things. And I, I totally now I'm thinking back to my childhood my mom was like one of those couponers that would literally cut coupons for two hours. And like looking back, I'm like, that was such a waste of time. And I'm sorry. I know she's listening to this, but <laughs> it's such a pit. It's like start a side hustle or something. Come on. But, <laughs> but like just knowing that, and my dad would also do the same thing on a larger scale. He would try to get like the best deal on a vacation or the best deal on rock concerts or whatever the thing might've been. So they were always like deal hunting. And so I guess, you know, kind of subconsciously that instilled into me that, Hey, I don't have to pay full price for everything. And I know Justin, you mentioned this last time, like there's always some weird little hacky way to get a better deal than everybody else is getting. If you want it bad enough. I think that's something that I definitely got from them. And also what I just mentioned before the, you know, if it's broken, try to fix it before you go and buy a new thing. I think that's definitely a trait that is diminishing definitely amongst people I know and people in my generation. And even myself, like sometimes I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to buy a new one. I don't feel like trying to fix it, but Man, that's such a powerful thing. And I'm sure anyone who had like depression age parents, anyone who was in that in those times where just money was so tight and things were so tough. I mean, you carry that for the rest of your life and that will save you thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, perhaps, depending on the type of stuff that you're fixing. But yeah, man, so many, so many early lessons. All right, Cody. So we kind of covered that, like that really young age, you know, like the age where I don't really think most people think about the lessons that they're teaching their kids or about money. But, you know, there's definitely, hey, showing that we remember it. So it, it does work. But what about when you get up into like that teenage kind of age where maybe you're starting to drive, maybe you're starting to work an actual W-2 job? Like, what did that look like? Yeah. So it's kind of the same themes that carried out. I was still saving as much money as I could. It was similar to you, Justin. If I had you know, necessities like food, my parents would pay for it. But if I wanted Pokemon cards, if I wanted a cool new toy, if I wanted a, you know some PlayStation game, whatever the thing might've been, I would definitely have to pay for that myself. And that's why I was working all these little odd jobs. But 
that kind of the same thing. I was like addicted to seeing those dollars grow in those CDs. And I don't remember the rates exactly when I was that age, like early high school. And I think the rates were probably like, I don't know, maybe in the threes or fours, which is obviously a lot better than they are now. I don't even know what CDs are now, like 0.4% maybe. I have have no idea. (laughs) But I think I was, I had a pretty good savings rate. Obviously I'm going to I don't know what it was. I wasn't calculating it. I did not have the Justin Taylor official spreadsheet <laughs> of seeing what I was making. And I wasn't making much. I mean, my first job, like I mentioned, when I was like 10 or 11, I was making five bucks an hour. And then I was making like 10 bucks an hour. And yeah, never really got over like 15 maybe in high school. But yeah, I was I was saving as much as I possibly could and seeing that compound interest grow. I think we've had a lot of guests actually who have talked about that, whether it was investing in stocks or putting money in the CD, just like getting the concept in your head. And it's so crazy, like something that small, putting 50 bucks, putting a hundred bucks in a CD or equivalent and seeing that money grow without you actually having to trade your time for that money growing. It's a mind blowing concept. And I mean, quite frankly, most of my friends, most of the people I know, they still haven't conceptualized that concept. So obviously I was super lucky to get that early on. And I guess the one big purchase slash mistake now that I'm looking at uh, <laughs> was, like I said, I did have to buy my own cool stuff. And so I was going to buy my first car, my 2009 S40 Volvo with the turbo. And my dad's like, yeah, go for it. It's, it's a safe car. It's going to be reliable. And I had saved up $12,000 at that point when I was 16 and a half or 17. So I was a saver. Like I was grinding. I was working throughout all those years, but that was literally everything I had. And I spent it all on that car, <laughs> literally every penny. Like I had zero savings after that, literally nothing. So looking back on that, I'm like, oh my God, I put this in the market then and it would be over a hundred thousand dollars by now. And you always, you know, you can always look at the numbers in retrospect, but I think for a majority of those years, like up until early mid high school, I definitely was super responsible as responsible I could be with my money. How about you, Justin? Yeah, for me, I really only had like the two different jobs other than like I do a little bit of mowing on the side, but I didn't really have a business. It was just like mowing. My dad's got a huge yard that I would mow, whatever. But uh, my real two jobs were washing dishes and a cook at KFC. And the cook at KFC was uh, where I maxed out my earnings at about $7.25 an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so there was there's no big bucks coming my way. But it's funny. It's There's a moment when I was working at KFC and it's actually related to buying one of my first cars. I had a lot of cars when I was younger, but I never lost money on them. I just would like buy them and sell them for exactly what I paid for them. But anyways, like one of the first cars that I had was this hideous like 1990 Nissan. Like it's before Nissan made Frontiers and Titans and all this. They just had like the Nissan pickup truck. It's all it was just a Nissan pickup truck. And um, it's this tiny little thing two-wheel drive, low to the ground. It was white with window louvers, if you know what those are. It had these like pastel stripes going down. It had a handmade like wooden center console that this old man had made. And that's how I came about the truck. Uh, My uncle's like, hey, you know, this guy that he knew, the older guy passed away. He's got it for sale, 2,500 bucks. Well, at the time I had a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee that had a V8 in it and like gas was starting to get expensive and I just couldn't afford to keep gas in it. I see this little truck. I can sell the Jeep, buy this, even swap. And it gets like, you know, double the gas mileage, but it's a stick shift. So I, I don't really even know how to drive it when my uncle brings it by while I'm at working at KFC one day to give it a test ride. I get in it, go for a test ride on my lunch break, come back. And I'm talking with a fellow employee. Now this fellow employee is working two jobs. He's a grown man. He's got children. He's working at a furniture factory in there. And 
when I come back, you know, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I think I want to buy it. He's like, how much is it? And I said, so actually, yeah. So actually the truck was $1,500, not $2,500. But anyways, I say, yeah, I'm going to buy it. It's $1,500. He says, well, what kind of payments are you going to make? And I said, well, I'm just going to buy it. Like, what do you mean? He's like, damn, you got it like that? You know? And I was like, uh, I don't like, I didn't even think that like me having $1,500 that I could just buy this truck was a big deal. And I was 16. Now, like, don't get me wrong. We didn't have much money, but like, I mean, we always just like, you would, you know, you would save up to buy the things you needed. You didn't take out loans and stuff to buy them. And now I understand there's like good debt that you can utilize. But at the time, like you didn't just like go buy something that you couldn't pay for. And to realize that like, hey, I'm working next to people who are grown, who still would like really struggle with a $1,500 purchase. Like, I think that was like one of those moments where I didn't realize it at the time, but it like really made me think about like, this stuff is like serious and it can get away from you and you got to stay in front of it and that what you're doing is working and like that, that you're able to buy this and not go to some terrible loan shops when you don't have credit and pay, you know, 15% interest to buy this $1,500 truck. Like, I, I just think that was one of those moments where I'll never forget, like not even realizing how empowered I was to be a teenager and just to be able to buy a $1,500 vehicle. I think this is a perfect transition into the next thing I kind of wanted to talk about just you know, maybe your late teen years, or I mean, mid teen years, like 16 to 18, because that's when a lot of people start making huge decisions that could impact their finances forever. And I think most people who, you know, they're thinking about college, or they're thinking about whatever the next step in their career might be, they do not think about the implications of that decision whatsoever. Did you have those types of thoughts, Justin? Did your parents kind of steer you in the right direction? Or we'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Well. So just one like overarching thing is my parents were always, you know, big on like saving money and not buying things you can't afford. But I will say there was no ever a discussion about investing. The CD was one thing, but that's like a guaranteed rate of return. And then those CDs, like you kind of alluded to, they started to dry up and that wasn't really a viable option. So like investing just was not really talked about. It was looked at more of like the way we would envision going to Vegas and gambling money. Like if you had a bunch of money and you had something you could waste, like sure, go throw it in the stock market. So that really didn't come about. I would say the biggest discussion like in that age was around going to college. And, you know, I would go to my parents and I, I love both my parents, great parents. But when I asked like, hey, how much money do I have to go to college on? They just kind of gave me a funny look. Like there was no money for me to go to college on. Like that, there was zero dollars. and so. 
you know, I got my crappy dial up internet and I'm trying to figure out like, okay, what does it cost to go to college? Nobody in my family ever went. So I didn't really have a reference point. And, um, I start to realize like that, you know, it, it's kind of doable if I can get the right scholarships. And so I go talk to my like guidance counselor at school and I say, Hey, you know, like I'm thinking about going like straight to this university. I'm a little worried about like going to a local community college just because like I'm worried I won't ever leave. Like I feel like I need something to push me. And this is like in my high school, everyone had to register for the local community college. Like it was like a class they would have basically where they'd come in and make you. And he looked at me and he said, you know, if you want to put your parents in debt for the rest of their life, I'm not going to be a part of it. And that was like the conversation. Like if you want to call that a conversation. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because that got me so determined to figure out how I could go to college. That kind of bleeds into the next phase, which is college. But like I took that took the ACT seven times while I was in high school, um, got the uh, high enough score where I had good scholarships, ended up doing a ROTC scholarship on top of it. And, you know, I ended up making a decent amount of money while I was in college. Like after paying for college, buying a car, buying a motorcycle, I still probably saved, you know, almost $10,000. And that's after paying for college. And that was all with just scholarship money. And I didn't have a job while I was in college, but that's all because like, I just got so angry at this somebody telling me that like I would have to put my parents in debt for me to get what I wanted that I put a lot of energy into figuring out how to get all those scholarships. Well, I definitely did not make money while I was in college, but I'd like to think I did it somewhat strategically. I mean, I guess the one non-strategic thing I did was type in (laughs) what careers can you make the money the fastest? And it's like finance. And I'm like, perfect. I'll go to school for finance. That sounds really good. Because I was just want I wanted to make money. I at that point actually kind of toward the end of high school. Like I wanted to get rich. I wanted to like drive a Lamborghini, which is totally the opposite path that I kind of want now. But I was just like wanting to make as much money as possible. Not exactly sure where it came from. I'm sure it cultivated from all those money lessons and saving and whatnot. But yeah, that that was kind of my mindset. I was like, I just want to make a ton of money. I want to be a super rich guy. But at the same time, I was, you know, I was looking at some of these schools, like private schools that were $60,000 a year. And once I kind of like wrapped my head around, oh my God, like if I go to this school, that's going to be $240,000 in loans after four years, if I don't get any help. And my dad was like, Oh, like, we'll try to help you as much as we can, bud. And I'm like, well, that's not, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> like you're not going to be footing a $60,000 bill every year. So ultimately I ended up picking a state school when going to UMass Amherst and kind of like you, Justin, I was grinding my butt off trying to get as many scholarships as I possibly could. Didn't go the RTC route, but did get a lot of different scholarships. And I used the template method I've talked about before to, I think I applied to legit over a hundred scholarships because I really didn't want any debt. Yeah, I ended up getting through school and I guess well, I, won't, I won't jump through college, but I ended up getting through school without any debt, fortunately, kind of between scholarships and grants and just AP classes and graduating a little bit early. All that stuff ended up working out. But yeah, I mean, those those initial decisions, those initial conversations, like just thinking about how much money that is. And like I mentioned, I, I, I wanted to get rich. So I kind of understood how money worked and compound interest on the good side, like investing and CDs and stuff like that. But just thinking about compound interest on the bad side, on the debt side, it just like made me sick to my stomach. I couldn't even imagine having $200,000 in debt. I'm sure we have people listening who have been in that scenario and maybe you got in that scenario without knowing it. I mean, I'm sure there's doctors and lawyers and people who intentionally get into that financial position. But man, it's a scary thing as being a high school kid, not having that education like Dan and Jake talked about. I mean, if you don't get that stuff, that is literally, and you know, not to give your 
counselor any credit, but that is a decision that could cripple someone's financial life for the rest of their life if they end up in just more debt than they know what to do with for a job that doesn't pay them much. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that we both did pretty good, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we found a way to figure it out. And it's, uh, you know, I know that there was a lot of little things in there that aren't necessarily repeatable and it's not something that everyone can go take and do. But I think it's just an interesting look at what our story is. So it's not saying like, hey, if you had to take out loans, like what's wrong with you? Why didn't you try harder? But at the same time, like, I just think it's cool for us to share like the stories that we ran through. Definitely. I guess one of the last pieces we should talk about and we could probably wrap this last part up faster before we kind of get into more general tips and, th- and that type of stuff. But when did kind of financial independence or like getting serious about finances come to the picture just to kind of, you know, bring this thing full circle? Yeah. So I think there's like this distinct line between like, I mean, from my first memories, like I was always, you know, frugal, you call me cheap, whatever you want to call me, uh, <laughs> but uh, efficient, as I like to say. But there was like, there was no thought again of like investing or, I mean, I never even heard of this concept of early retirement. None of that until like basically I started my first real job, which was the, which was the air force. And I wasn't making that much money. I mean, I think I was, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like I was just crushing it. I think I was bringing home around $40,000 a year, high thirties, maybe after taxes, 40, something like that. But to me, that was like the most money I'd ever seen. I mean, because my rent was like, I don't know, 400 bucks a month because I was renting out the basement of a place. Like there was a couple of us living there. So my first thing I did is when I kind of made that bad car choice, it seems like everybody's got a bad car choice, but I'm like making that money and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to get me a, you know, I'm going to get me a nice car that I can keep for a long time. Now, luckily it has been a good car that's lasted me. I still have it, but I bought a 2013 Ford Fusion Hybrid you know, real aggressive sports car. <laughs> and uh, I gave it was like a year old when I bought it. I think I gave like 23000 for it. And yeah, I think the same thing. It's like, man, what if I would invest that 23000 I could have like a sick Tesla. But anyways, like, but what pushed me to financial independence is I get out there. I've got the money. I've got uh, a career. I've, I've graduated college. Like I've checked all those boxes, but I really wasn't happy. And that's what got me into thinking about like, well, what, what, what really does make me happy? And it's being around my friends. It's being around my family. It's getting to see new places. Okay. You know, I was an engineer in college, like let's reverse engineer this. How do you get that? Well, you need to not be working every day in order to do those things. Well, how do you not work every day? Well, you need enough money. Okay. Well, how do you get enough money? And it just kind of led me down that path of saying, okay, well, I got to figure out a way to get more returns. Okay. Let's look into this investing thing. What's some strategies and and then that, along with looking at places like Thailand and stuff where I saw how cheap it was, it led me into some of these articles. And like most people hit Mr. Money Mustache the first time, hit that article about the shockingly simple math behind early retirement. And um, from there, I was hooked. And so like in probably 2015, you know, I start getting really serious about it and start even to the point where I'm making like bets with people. And I'm saying like, hey, if I'm not retired by the time I'm 42, like I'll do this. And now when I look at it, it's like I I realize for me and and the way things have played out for me, I want to be in a position to where I'm going to really surpass that. Like 42 is not even going to be a stretch for me. And at the time, everyone thought I was crazy. But for me, that was really helpful, like to start letting people know, to not just make it my little secret, to like tell people this is what I'm going to do and, you know, kind of like put myself on the hook for it. Like if I don't do it, I'm going to look silly. 
And um, so I think that kind of helped motivate me to like speak it out into the world. But, you know, the, the long story short is, you know, I started having the first taste of money, realized the money wasn't where the happiness was coming from and figured out that. I, but that I could use money, though, to get me to a place where I could get the happiness from the sources where I knew it did come from, which was those people that were close to me. Very similar story for me. The Lamborghini Cody of high school's past <laughs> quickly died after I got into the workforce. And, you know, I was working that commercial real estate job and people were making a ton of money above me. Like my boss is making a lot of money. My coworkers were making a lot of money, but everybody in the office was miserable. And I was like, if this is what the next you know, X number of years looks like if this is what my next position looks like, like, you know, if I'm going to work my tail off for this cause, this is the next rank. And this guy is miserable coming into work every day. This doesn't seem like the right career for me. So, I mean, as many people probably know who have heard my story before quickly pivoted out of that. And same thing as you, Justin, like the things that make me happy is working on things that I'm passionate about, hanging out with people, having fun. I mean, you know, doing the things that make you feel alive rather than just trying to get the maximum amount of money possible. But I guess to rewind a little bit, just like how I discovered it, it was actually through Tim Ferriss. And I know I've mentioned that before, but the four hour work week and just kind of really revolutionizing or at least cementing that idea that we talked about from our early childhood, Justin, like making money without doing anything or, you know, by doing something previously, like putting money away in a CD, you're not actively doing anything to earn that interest dollars, but it's making you money. It's the same thing with Real estate, same thing with side hustles. It's the same thing with investing. Like once you kind of put this stuff away in advance, you just start to, you know, make so much money. And I remember just reading all about that and uh, actually learning about the rule of 72 was kind of revolutionary for me too. Just seeing how fast money can double. I remember thinking, oh, and I was like maybe 20 or 21. I was like, oh my gosh, if I can get 100K by 25, let me just step back. So the rule of 72, for those of who don't know, basically it says that, you know, take your expected return. So a lot of people use 7% in the stock market. Divide 72 by that number. So let's do 72 divided by 7. It's about 10. I know it's 10 and change, but uh, it's about 10. It's a, That means about every 10 years, your money will double if you have that rate of return. So I was like, oh my gosh, 100K by 25, 200K by 35, 400K by 45. That's 800K by 55 and 1.6 mil by 65. I was like, all I got to do is save up 100K by 25. And that's it. I'm just going to, you know, live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life and then retire when I'm 65. That's honestly like one of the thoughts that went through my head. And, you know, I didn't choose to go that path, but it's just so crazy how powerful like the concepts of compound interest or, you know, not trading your time for money are. And that's definitely what kind of threw me down the rabbit hole and got me so interested in FI. And like you said, Justin, just living the best life I can and having having the most fun along the way. Yeah. And I just, uh, you know, one quick thing to kind of wrap out this before we start getting into like little tips and things that, that we feel like helped us or help others is you may not necessarily want to quit your job and go down the entrepreneurial path, but getting yourself up and ahead in the financial game, like having yourself that, that leverage to where it can grow to those numbers, like you're talking about, that just gives you so much like freedom to say, Hey, the day this job gets like really bad, I'll just quit and get a different job. Or you know what? Like, no, I'm not going to take on that extra project. And if the manager like wants to fire me, like they can fire me. Like, yeah, you may not go and start your own business. And yeah, you may go to a different corporate job, but it at least gives you some freedom to kind of like stand up for yourself. And there's a reason why there's a lot of articles and things out there calling it FU money. And because there's probably a lot of decisions that if you have debt hanging over you and you don't have that kind of freedom, that confidence that comes with it, 
you're going to make decisions that out of fear, even though it probably actually didn't change your career path and get you that promotion you thought it would. You're just doing it because like you think you need to do every little thing to increase your chances of that next paycheck coming through. And when you remove that fear, like it just really opens you up and probably actually makes you even a better employee. So I think that's just something for folks to keep in mind is like getting to those points is not just so you, you know, maybe you don't want to quit your job. Maybe you don't want to start a business. Maybe you do enjoy your job, but it still gives you some extra freedoms. The power of no is crazy and so invaluable. I'm just going to kind of think back through some of the stuff we said and incorporate this. I just have a little checklist of just, just like random stuff, honestly, that I thought was helpful for me and helpful for other people. But I think just like t- after talking to you and hearing both of our stories, I think one big lesson is to give financial responsibility early or at least give people the ideas of being financially responsible early, like, you know, saving money in a CD, like giving you a quick, like, how much more do I need to you know buy this thing? How many more watermelons do I need to sell? What is the percent return I'm getting on this? Like teaching those things to a kid early, like kids are so absorbent. They're like sponges. I think if you can get those lessons out to kids early, and unfortunately, it's because, you know, a lot of these adults haven't got this financial education. They don't have the classes in high school or in college or whatever. So they don't even know that themselves. They're working and probably spending most of their paycheck. That's what a majority of Americans do, or I guess just people in the world do. Um, So yeah, give that financial responsibility early. And I think that will just yield huge benefits down the road. I was thinking of stuff that has struck me over the years that I I just realized now that I'm like, wow, maybe that's a reason why I'm like that. And I think Justin, you could probably say the same, that those financial lessons early on really help shape your adult financial future. Yeah, Cody. And when you're talking about giving kids responsibility too, like I think that piece is really critical because I know you've mentioned it before. I think we all learn so much more from failure than we do when something goes right. Like we remember when things go wrong. And when you give kids a chance to fail, when they have that safety net, like you're there to help them. And it's not really a big decision. Like it'll feel big to them in the moment. But like if you, if they have like $50 from their birthday and, and you let them like spend it on the things they want to, and then you can take a step back and say, okay, now like you can buy that if you want to, or like, you know, you can wait this long and it'll be this much money. Or like, you know, if you'll wait till say it's like a Black Friday sale coming up in a couple months, like if you can practice some patience and wait and get it for 20% off, like you can get this, that plus an extra game or whatever it is, like letting them make those decisions to where it's really not that critical if they fail, but they get to, they get to fail and they get to see what that feels like. And they get to see what trade-offs are. I think that's really important. And another thing I think was interesting that we heard from one of our guests and I, I can't remember which episode it was, you know, they had a family member who would take them to different restaurants and stuff or different businesses and would say like, let's get you like a, a couple dollars worth of stock in this company. Like when you're a kid, you may not understand investing and all that. But when, when you say like, Hey, like you love going to McDonald's, like now you get to be, you have a little tiny piece of this company. And every time that you see somebody come through that drive through and hand them money, they're handing you a little bit of money actually. And like, I think some stuff like that is cool to where, you know, people look for ways to make it tangible to younger people. Um, instead of going down some really technical rabbit hole, just give them opportunities to see their day-to-day life and how it interacts with investing. Yeah. Something else that I'm kind of thinking here too, and I know I definitely have the entrepreneurial bug has bit me a little harder than you, Justin, but I'm, I'm actually curious to hear about like your personal experience with this type of stuff. And it doesn't have to be like a, you know, you're not throwing together some huge business or being a 
kid entrepreneur, but I think teaching personal finance lessons through small business and literally small business could be buying and selling Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh cards, like when you're a kid on the bus or something like I did that with some of my friends. But I think from the income side of things, like, yeah, you can teach a kid how to save more and you can teach a kid, you know, the power investing and compound interest. But, you know, being able to conceptualize the income side of things, like, kind of calculating how much margin you're getting. Like, obviously you're not thinking in those terms, but you're like, you know what, if I buy this Pokemon card set for five bucks and I get a rare card out of it, like I might be able to sell that for 20 bucks and I'll turn this much of a profit. Like, I think there's just so many lessons embedded in running a business. And unfortunately, I I forget who said this one too. We've had a lot of awesome guests on here who have said really smart things, but most people unfortunately don't treat their life like a small business or like a business. But if you do kind of think of your life in that lens, like making sure that your bottom line is always green, making sure that your your always your life is always profitable rather than like having a business that's profitable. I think that is such a powerful thing. And something you just mentioned there, it's so much more low stakes when you're a kid. You're not taking out loans and starting a restaurant. Like you might just have a little business where you're walking around the neighborhood raking leaves or maybe you're hiring your friends to rake the leaves for you and you're skimming some profits off the top of their head. Uh, from what you're charging the people like there's just so many crazy lessons that you can imbue on these kids that hopefully you know down the road will at least even if they don't want to be entrepreneurs we'll just at least help them conceptualize like the power of money from the income side yeah and i mean i actually you know i i gotta give myself a little credit i've had a couple little entrepreneurial ventures uh the first two that come to mind are maybe slightly shady where uh the first one i was so young i can, I, I mean i think i was probably like eight years old. And, and I would, I would get water bottles that I had and I would refill them with tap water and I would sell them to these kids that would get on the bus after football practice who were just dying for water. I would sell them used water, like disposable water bottles filled with tap water. That was my first one. Um, and then I did something that would probably get you on like a, a news flash if you did it today, but I would go to the auction and I would buy these like they're kind of cool looking little pocket knives that had like the push button where they flip out. And I would sell them at school. Like I would sell like I'd get them for like a dollar and I'd sell them for like six or seven bucks. And I would sell them like out of the field house at school. Um, and then uh, but then my most reputable, like better earning one was that actually got me my first decent car. The car that kind of sent me off to college was uh, I took out a, a six thousand dollar no interest loan that you had to use to buy cows. And so my dad already had like a farm and stuff. And, um, but that one was one where, you know, I got to understand like that dynamics of a business. Cause like, I think when you're younger, you see something like, okay, it costs this much to buy this and you sell it, boom, profit. And you don't think about things like operating costs. But when I got to start learning about like, oh, well, you know, the fence just broke. We got to split that. Hey, you got to buy feed. Hey, you got to do this. Like this one got sick. And, you know, it needed like the vet to come out like those things were kind of that was a, a cool model where I got to see the the operating cost too, whereas it wasn't just so simple as you buy for X, you sell for Y. See, Justin, you do like entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I just can't figure out one that pays me as good as the corporate world. Does. <laughs> totally fair. And Cody, I know like we've spent a lot of this episode kind of talking about our story, how we got introduced to it. And, you know, our previous two guests, Dan and Jake, are, are really focused more on the younger community. But it's, you know, realistically, not everyone listening is going to have someone in their life who they're trying to introduce to personal finance at a, at a really young age. But I'd say most people have someone in their life who could use a little bit better introduction into personal finance. And so 
I thought we could just kind of quickly talk about a couple of things, regardless of how old somebody are. And for me, the biggest thing is really making them feel like you're not being judgmental, um, especially if they know like, hey, Cody's that guy who's like going to retire. He's already like doing his entrepreneur stuff. Like he, he he doesn't have to do the corporate stuff. He's got a crazy savings rate. Like he's on, you know, I'm putting him on this pedestal and like, I, I'm so far from that. Like, I don't even want him to know about my finances. Like, I think that's really important is to just really make them comfortable, make them know that you're not judging them. Maybe like we could, you know, maybe you could use some of those mistakes. Like, man, when I was, you know, 16, I spent every dime I had on that Volvo. Show them that, hey, we're humans too. We make those mistakes. And um, But the second you get like preachy about any subject, you're just going to lose the person you're trying to influence. Yeah, I think that's definitely true from, and I honestly don't try as hard as I probably should trying to impress these lessons upon other people that I'm around. But when people ask me, like I share everything, I'm trying, I'm, I'm as helpful as I possibly can be. But like you said, from a point of humility, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, I don't have to work this corporate job and I have this awesome savings rate, blah, 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 whatever. I think honestly leading by example though, and I think that was honestly a theme that struck me today, like just talking about our parents and friends and family that influenced us in our early financial lives. Just, you know, me going on vacation for a month or, you know, not having to go into an office or like whatever the thing might be, whatever financial lessons you can imbue on someone else from your own per- like personal finance situation. Because I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast is probably more financially savvy than a very large majority of your friends. Any of these things that you can kind of act out in your normal life, like, you know, Maybe you take a Tuesday off and you go hiking, like whatever the thing is, whatever that power that mon- that your money has bought you, I think that's the best way to attract friends to you. You cannot be preachy. They have to come to you first most of the time, unless you have some really great sneaky way of getting friends on board that I don't know about. But anytime I've ever had a friend, you know, ask me about the stuff, they've come to me first. It has not been me. Hey, dude, you shouldn't be leasing that car. You're spending way too much on rent. Like, that never, ever works because immediately they go into defense mode. They put the shell up and they do not want to hear a single piece of financial advice from you. So, yeah, I think leading by example is super important when it comes to getting people on board with this type of stuff. I'm really glad, Cody, that we did this episode. I mean, it was a fun way, I think, for us to not only get like the listeners to hear a little bit more about our story, but maybe put it in context to get to see how all of these things kind of snowball into bigger things, like all these lessons that maybe your parents or grandparents didn't even intentionally do, or they took for granted. Like they didn't even realize how important that was going to be, how you can latch onto those. And it makes a huge difference later in life. And so I think it just gives us all motivation to try, like to not take for granted that maybe doing that one little thing, given that one little bit of introduction into personal finance could actually change somebody's life forever. And they may not know it for another 10 years, but you could be that catalyst that at least puts that bug in their head and says, man, I see what they're doing. It, it looks like things are working out pretty well for them so that they got some credibility. You know, I like the idea of the way that sounds and I want to see how I can do that. And so like, you know, don't put a ton of pressure on yourself, but just look for those opportunities. Like how, where is it where I can find someone around me who's just not there yet, whether it be due to like age and experience or they just haven't had that opportunity and look for a way where you can kindly assist them and come in from a friendly perspective and uh, give them that opportunity that maybe someday they can really have ownership over their personal finances, which gives them a lot more ownership over their entire life. 
I hope everybody really loved listening to this episode. I know me and Cody had a blast putting it together. And if you want the link to go kind of look at the notes that we typed up, or maybe it's even just to get the link to share to a friend so that that's the way you introduce them to personal finance, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash early lessons. That's thefyshow.com slash early lessons. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.